podcastjuice.net. The planet is restless, Captain. They want their podcast. And they shall have it. I'll beam down to the surface. You have the bridge. Captain, that is illogical. These are Trek fans. They will challenge and dissect your knowledge with great emotion. It is a mission fraught with danger, peril, and grave risk. Suggestions. Send in the red shirts. You know what time it is. We're back. We're back in the Alpha Quadrant. It's the red shirts. And today we have what I want to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to call it right now. It's a special episode. It's like, you know, when Blossom or any of these NBC uh, TV shows that we have on a very special episode. <laughs> you well, went to Blossom? I said Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> on a very special episode of ALF. <laughs> Which works better because he's an alien. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> rough crowd, rough crowd. But you know what? Wait a minute. I just realized something. One of our crew members almost dodged a bullet here. Because one of our crew members who went AWOL before went AWOL again. That would be that would be Craig J. Right? In trouble again. Now Craig. In trouble again. Do you have a good excuse this time? For not I took my I took my red shirt off. <laughs> so I didn't okay. get killed. All right. I have uh, I visited San Jose, California, for Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference last week, and it was great. Always great to go to Apple events. Lots of really, really exciting things coming up for iPhones, iPads, Macs, Mac Pros, which is going to make you very happy, Mike. Lots of, uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Lots of Mac, pro Mac, stuff coming up. Mac Pros? Well, it's the iMac Pro, actually, but uh, it's uh, pretty beefy. Uh, pretty beefy. <laughs> Yeah, the only problem is, and I'm and I'm using an, an iMac right now, which I it's probably about two years old, well, a year old now. Um, you can't upgrade them. You can upgrade them. There's a little little hatch at the bottom of the thing where you can normally change memory and stuff like that, or yeah, but or the, uh, you, you can't you can't increase the um, the hard drive capacity. No, you're right. You can't. And, you can't. Uh, you, can't you can't increase. Once you once they solder the RAM onto the motherboard, you're done, right? You can't increase RAM on it, can you? No, they got they got RAM slots. That's why I say there's a little hatch at the bottom. You can only upgrade the RAM. But um, but yeah, I mean, if you're a pro guy, you probably got external storage anyway. I would assume. Yeah, but I I thought the I thought I heard the price tag for those things were like five grand. Oh, sorry. Which is <laughs> we 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 we're talking like high yeah. high spec. It's not your typical out of the box iMac. Uh, it's uh-uh. it's it's for you basically. You have yeah. video editors and things like that. I'm not spending five thousand dollars on any computer. <laughs> How much did you spend on your original Mac Pro though? The original Mac Pro that I had, yeah, the, the huge big tower. Yeah. Uh maybe thirty five hundred. Well, there wow. you go. That's a pretty pricey. Yeah, but it's not five grand, <laughs> and I could it had three bays for hard drive and it had hard drives and it had like four, what do you call them? Dim slots. I I don't know the technical mm. stuff that well. well for our, for RAM. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I could upgrade the video card, the graphics card. You can't do that on the iMac. I don't know why it's five thousand dollars, but I think I get, you can use a you can use an external uh, uh, GPU chassis, so you can actually upgrade it. Eh. So yeah, you, you should dig into it a little bit there and see if that'll am, be your next computer. 
I am interested in a new MacBook Pro, probably, if mm. not by the end of the year, by next year. But right. uh, yeah, I don't know why they're they're see all the people that bought that little R two D two trash can mm-hmm. Mac Pro, <laughs> they're probably pissed now because they're end of lifeing that. I don't know if they said that actually. Uh, they'd never really came out and said we're not going to develop that anymore. But you well, can well, intimate that. Well, if they're going with iMac Pro. They're putting that subtitle, what does it call a suffix on the iMac? Mm. That tells me that's the pro model. <clears throat> yeah, we'll have to see. It's possible. Well, oh. look, at least they didn't get rid of the pro line. Isn't that isn't that what you were worried about? So at least they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. G- listen, I, one thing I'm not going to buy is that HomePod because Siri, I'm sorry. Siri sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say I've, I've, uh, I've seen her improve quite a bit over the last couple of years, so I probably am going to buy HomePod. I want because um, Alexa's got yeah. Siri beat. I'm just sorry, Alexa has well, Siri you, beat. I suppose we have to put them side by side to really check that out. But my ecosystem is in in Apple, and so the HomePod will fit in nicely. Okay. Well, I have I have two of the dots. I think that's what, Echo dots. Mm-hmm. And I know I could be across the room. Alexa, what's the temperature? And she hears me, and she gives me the temperature. I could be holding my iPhone right in front of me. Uh, uh, Sir, hey Siri, what's the temperature? Sorry, I didn't get that. <laughs> you, bit- no, I can't say that word. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but I bet when you when you ask uh, Alexa to play your music, it sounds like it's coming out of a tweeter, right? Well, that's why I have it uh, Bluetooth to a bigger speaker. Yeah, you see. But you get so to that's do how- get to do that with the Siri as well. Well, no, I mean, if you've got the HomePod, it's it's pretty much high-fidelity quality speaker plus a, an assistant in one. That's really what they're going for. Yeah. They're going for the audiophile. They're not going but, for you. Can, you're going to buy cheap little crappy Alexa, Dot, whatever, and, and it sounds like crap. Now and you have talk, to buy another speaker. Let's so, talk yeah, about let's, the price uh, tag on that. The, that price tag, $350. Oh, yeah. Well, like, like I said, it's, it's going for the people who want good quality audio coming out of that speaker. Okay. So yeah. So so wait a minute. I got to sign. Uh, and by the way, while you were gone, we, we really missed you. It was just big sexing and me piloting this this star the galaxy class starship through the Mutara Nebula. It felt like an it felt like the Remember Me episode with Doctor Crusher. I felt like I was I was like, how do you account for how do you account for all the extra rooms? <laughs> just the two of us. So one little interesting little bit of trivia about the Inner Light is that yes. the uh, the actor that plays Bataille yep. is also an actor from Office Space, one of my favorite movies of all time. And uh, well, since Richard Rayleigh, I think that's yes. how you say it. Richard Real and Richard Real, and uh, in in the in Office Space, he's the one that comes up the game jump to conclusion. If you remember that movie, well, I did see it years ago, um, but what I remember him for is he played. Um, a U.S. Air Marshal in Executive Decision. Okay, that's that's and I, that's one of my favorite movies. I highly uh, recommend uh, when you're on your away missions, pick up a copy of Office Space. It is the most hilarious movie you can watch. Isn't that the one where it starts off with the guy? I forget his name. He's a young guy. He's in traffic. He gets into the other lane, and that lane stops. And then he mm. isn't that how it starts off? Is that the exactly movie? right? That's yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. And Jennifer, is Jennifer Aniston in that movie? She is. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh, they, something about swag. She works at a 
like an Applebee's and she has swag on her? <laughs> a pieces of flair. That's what flair. That's what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those movies that that really lampoons the whole office dynamic. And Mike, you don't work in an office, so you don't know. But you, if you ever worked in an office, this movie hits home every time. You got all you got the cast of characters that work in the office, and it's brilliant. So it's a good it's a good watch. Well, I, I'm gonna say that if you want to see the the best incarnation of any office parody or satire, is the the Ricky Gervais office. Yes, yes, I agree with you. Not the American one, the British one. I completely agree. Yeah, the American ones is crap through and through. Thank you. I'm glad it's not just me. I would say out of the what nine years it was on, ten years maybe. I'd say <laughs> maybe ten episodes. I would say were really good. The rest of them mm. I could really do without. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see, the thing is that the British office was clever, whereas the American office was just stupid. It was sitcommy. Yeah, Too but sitcom-y. it was just dumb. They made they made the the office manager, which was originally Ricky Gervais's character, too dumb. Right. Nobody can be that dumb. I mean, Ricky Gervais wasn't dumb. He was just unaware. He was just, unaware. Yeah, he was unaware and naive, naive, but he wasn't just dumb. Right. That, that was the problem with that show. Anyway, we digress. Yes, we digress. Let's get back to the matter at hand. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about one of the more popular. TNG episodes of Star Trek, one of the more popular episodes of Star Trek, period, and that would be The Inner Light, a fan favorite. I know it's one of my favorites. This month will be is the 25th anniversary. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? 25th oh, no, no. anniversary. <laughs> the 25th anniversary of the airing of that episode. It first aired June 1st. 1992. I don't remember what network. What network was this show on? Do you remember? It was syndicated. That's right. Yeah. It was first run syndication. It's the first run syndication. You're right. You're right. And just because you know, I I work in the industry. We all know this, right? I work in the industry. You know, I my my corporate videos is comparable to working on such a high level as Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to give proper credit to the people involved in the uh, production of this show, the creation of the show. So Morgan Grendel and Peter Allen Fields produced the teleplay. Uh, the story is by Morgan Grendel, directed by Peter Lauritsen. And just to give uh, a quick summary, and you can get all of this on, I'm reading from uh, Star Trek Memory Alpha Wiki. So the summary is an alien probe controls and disables Captain Picard, who wakes up as Cayman, a resident of the planet Catan. While the crew of the Enterprise tries to jar the probe's influence, Cayman lives through the final dying decades of his homeworld in the form of an interactive ancestor simulation. So basically, Picard lives an entire lifetime, approximately 40 years, uh, 40 plus years, as Cayman trapped on another planet, the planet of Catan. So... Let me give you a little bit of, uh, we're going to give you a little bit of background. One thing that makes this episode unique is that it's one of a few episodes of Star Trek, the entire Star Trek franchise, that won a Hugo Award. This episode won the 1993 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. It's the third of four Star Trek episodes to win the award. The others are The Menagerie Part 1 and The Menagerie Part 2. 
the city on the edge of forever, which is very much in the same vein as this episode, the inner light. And then the last one was all good things. This episode was also nominated for an Emmy award for outstanding individual achievement in makeup for a series. Now I have other little tidbits that I'll sprinkle along the way, but one thing I want to read this quote really quickly, and then we're going to jump into this. So Ronald D. Moore, uh, producer and writer for Star Trek, he comments, quote, I've always felt that the experience in Inner Light would have been the most profound experience in Picard's life and changed him irrevocably. However, that wasn't our intention when we were creating the episode. We were after a good hour of TV and the larger implications of how this would really screw somebody up didn't hit home with us until later. That's sometimes a danger in TV. You're so focused on just getting the show produced every week that sometimes you suffer from the can't see the forest for the trees syndrome. We never intended the show to completely upend his character and force a radical change in the series. So we contented ourselves with a single follow-up in the episode Lessons, end quote. And what he means by that is basically the events of this episode are so would be so profound in anyone's life, but it suffers from the same thing a lot of series suffer from. Well, lately, you've seen a little bit of improvement in this where people kind of string an arc along. They do this on DS9 pretty well, too. But if you watch this episode and see what happens in it, you would realize that this is something that they should have really touched on a lot more significantly in subsequent episodes, which they kind of did with the best of both worlds. They follow that up with family, where we see the impact of Picard's borgification. But we don't get much about the impact of living 40 years trapped on a planet that's not your own home. Uh, we don't see a lot of we don't see a lot of impact on that in subsequent episodes uh, with Picard dealing with that, but we do get a little bit of a taste of it in Lessons when Picard plays the Resican flute, which we will discuss shortly. So, with that context, and we've all seen it recently, Craig. I think you saw it for the first time uh, in preparation for this episode. Is that correct? Probably for the second or third time, but I hadn't watched it for for decades. Okay, let's start with you. Let me get your um, impressions of this episode. D- does it does it merit the accolades that are heaved upon it by critics and fans alike? I, I think it does. It's it's a great episode. Very enjoyable. Very believable. Um, suspension of disbelief is definitely there. And it's really only after the episode's finished and you think about it that you just think of how they could have really told the story without having Picard live 40 years. That the, the, the inhabitants of that planet could probably have achieved what they wanted another way. But it doesn't really matter because the way it's done is really, really compelling and, and amazing. I think at the end, though, when Picard comes around, I can't imagine how his brain would go back to being the starship captain after essentially living 40 years. So that was the only thing that they, as you said, didn't really talk about because I'm sure the very next episode that aired the next week, he was all fine and back to himself again, <laughs> which is not really, I do not see how it's even possible. He probably couldn't even remember um, things about the ship after 40 years living on this planet. But I love the episode. Don't get me wrong. It was it was really great. Anything stand out for you? And Any scenes stand out for you, resonate with you? Anything come to mind that was like, wow, I really, I really liked that? I think the, well, just for me, I think the way that he continues all the time 
to just keep mapping the stars and and looking up and even though he's forgetting his old life he's he always he's always got knowledge that wants him to keep learning and he's always out on excursions and looking up at the stars and and, and plotting them and so on which it appears that other people are not doing on the planet so he just keeps that he keeps doing that all the way through his life because he thinks it's uh, he, he's never going to go back mm, mm. so big sexy what are your impressions of this episode does it merit all of the praise that, get, that gets heaped on it in your opinion no no it does not <clears throat> now i'm wow. not saying it's a bad episode by any stretch but you know i've watched it several times and I've heard people really talk about how the greatness of it and all this, and you know what? I'm just not seeing it. You know, I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it to be a little tedious. It reminds me of an episode of MASH during, I think, either one of the later seasons. It was called Hawkeye, where Hawkeye, played by Alan Alda, wrecked his Jeep and was with a Korean family who didn't speak English. So it's kind of like a solo performance about him. And this was a, a little reminiscent of that because you took Picard out of his setting. You put him in a new setting and you age him. But I do like how he was one of the people who saw that there's a problem with this planet and that we need to preserve you know, our culture, you know, our history. I thought that was pretty cool. But the way that they allowed a probe that was propelled by, what do they call it, solid propulsion, in other words, gas, you know, get the drop on a galaxy-class ship, scan the shields, get through the shields, and then drop the captain, that's bull****. You know, I didn't think that was cool, but the end result was good, and I do like how they refer to the flute in lessons, but I just don't see all the uh, accolades. I mean, it won a Hugo Award. It was nominated for an Emmy. I'm just not seeing it. So, <clears throat> okay. So, I'm, I want to try to understand. I, I was listening very intently. You, you kind of threw me off my chair when you said, you basically said, no, you didn't like it. So <laughs> I didn't like it. I just said it didn't warrant all the accolades. Okay. So you you would say that why and what I believe I heard your reasons being and they were that it was tedious. It was a little plotting to me at times. Can you give me an you example? Know. I'm just curious. Well, the little I don't know if it's a subplot or not, but the little underlying idea of well this planet's going to be destroyed, it sounded like Superman to me. You know, Krypton's gonna blow up. What are we gonna do? Not, well don't tell anybody for, for Christ's sakes. You know, I just didn't think that was pretty plausible. And then you have Captain Picard, you stick him in this new situation with a, with a woman, and he's married. It's like, I don't know you. And then during his 40 years there, how do we know he was attracted to her? He could have just said, you know what, I'm out. And done something else. You know, and the Picard that I know would not have given up. He just wouldn't have done it. You know, so the fact that he really... Now, granted, they, they did shoehorn 40 years into pretty much 38 minutes of story, but the Picard I know would not have just accepted it so lightly. There's just no way. Well, now, okay, wow. So we just went warp speed ahead to some of the themes I want to talk about later on, but you, you kind of, um, you've kind of brought them to the forefront. Now, let, let, let's get into this. 
And Craig, I want you to jump in when you see fit as well. If you have, if you want to challenge anything I'm about to say or want to support anything I'm about to say, um, let's remember who Picard is. He is. I always saw Picard throughout the the series as a, a, a character who was, even though he was a strong starship captain, uh, unwavering. I, I think he commanded the respect of most of Starfleet. He was a conflicted character because he, every now and then you saw episodes where, and they, they, they kind of brought this up in the movies as well, where he questioned whether or not he made the right decision as opposed to living a life with a family and a wife. Um, he, he struggles with his captainship, captaincy, if that's a word. Uh, because he secretly has feelings for Beverly, but he sent her husband to his death. So all, all of that, which and I would I would hazard to guess in the, in the production bible for Next Generation, the production bible being where where you create uh, a line item of all of the elements of the show, like you do your characterizations, your your sets, your props, and the whatever. When they when on, on the byline for Captain Picard, I would imagine that uh, it says he struggles with uh, family life versus Starfleet, or in which case, when when I'm trying when I'm trying to draw it is that it would make sense then that after let's say five years with this woman who thinks that sh- he is her husband and heaps love upon him that he might succumb you know i disagree okay because going back to who picard is now i do agree that there was some inner conflict about making the right choice but i think his true passion is archaeology that's what he would have done if he was a, a captain you know if you look at some of the past episodes you know, he's always been into that and not necessarily being the family man. Now, had they made this Canaan guy an archaeologist, that would have been more plausible. You know, so I don't know. Again, I'm just not seeing it. I think that the way that they portrayed it is in the beginning, he really was absolutely not interested. And they go back to him five years later. Now, that's a long time to be living on a planet where it's essentially there's the civilization is very backward and he probably eventually just says oh well you know i can't hurt, hurt this woman any longer and he just starts accepting it and then the kid comes along and it just he gets more buried into this life i don't think he ever forgets his old life but maybe he even thinks maybe that was a dream because there's really no way out of this there's no there's no magic bullet he can't get off the planet so he eventually just resigns himself to it. But I like the way that it did take five years, which is a long time <laughs> to be living with somebody and not showing them any affection and not, not wanting to have kids and so on. So I think they played it well. But you know what, I, Mark, you, you, you make a good point. Maybe I could go with you on this. Maybe there needed to be a scene where we see Picard out in the wilderness looking for the telepad or the teleporting pad that brought him here or looking for the, the the probe that he remembers and maybe there's a beam site 
maybe they needed to be and I could see that scene where maybe he goes somewhere and he just he's gone for maybe three or four months and um the 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 Catan or Russican uh you know police force or whatever or you know missing persons force they find him and they say uh Cayman please come home come home and we finally see that resigned look on Picard's face. Maybe uh, Aileen, his wife, comes and kisses him. And he's like, something like, you know, I guess I could learn to live this way. or something. Because it's Picard succumbing to what he kind of wants. A woman to love him because he can't have Beverly's love because he's guilty about that. Or maybe be improper. Or, you know, uh, his relationships have never worked out. I don't know. But this I wouldn't say that it's Beverly's love that he's pining for, you know, because he was all into the Vosh character too. Right. I mean, so we we don't know. But again, also he didn't he didn't transport there. He woke up there. Now, also, and again, I'm not going to spoil DS9 for you, but something similar happens coming up. To oh, wait, that, wait, wait. To um, is it with uh uh, uh O'Brien? No. Because something well, actually, I, forgot, I forgot about that one, but something else happens, you know, with that same premise is going to happen as well. But with, with this thing, why didn't, if he did take off, you know, go looking for something, why wouldn't the, the police force or whoever is in charge say, you know what, this guy's nuts. Lock his ass up in Happy Acres. Jesus. <laughs> they, they, they show themselves to be a, a very beneficent and... Um, uh, benign race. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't even have prisons. On the, it's very clear. Uh, it's it's very, like a you know, mental facility, you know, because he's clearly not from here in his mind. He's not one of us. Right. He's talking all these different things that do not exist and cannot exist. So we need to lock this guy up for observation for his own good. But remember, Mark. <laughs> remember, Mark, and this will be spoiling the episode. I'm, you know, it's it's twenty five years old, so. Remember, all these people know what's going on. If you if you if you recall the end of the episode, they are they are consciously aware of the fact that they are not living in real time on the planet. So, at this point, where Picard is living as Cayman, this this uh, this society they are advanced because they were able to create that probe. So what you're saying then is now this this changes things now what you're saying then is based on them creating the probe uh-huh. they programmed it in a sense to guide him to that point yes i would say so yeah i would agree i mean it's a simulation it's a, it's a computer controlled simulation so you would you absolutely right mark that, that it is guiding him if this thing was created by this race of people as a probe then i would agree with the premise that the probe was programmed to guide him to that last part. Instead of, you know, letting him go to Happy Acres or something like that, the probe was pr- programmed to walk him through this man's existence. It's, it's artificial intelligence. It's obviously being programmed to anticipate everything that he's going to ask and how it's going to respond and how all the characters are going to respond. And it also makes sense after you watch it because and after you realize it's a probe and it's essentially a program running, 
in that, and that is, is that when he's trying to talk to the government of the planet and the government of the planet is not interested in what he has to say, that's just a way of steering him off. Right. Because obviously they're way, they are way more advanced than they let on. Yeah. But, um, but in, in the program, they can't let that be known to him because otherwise he'd, he'd want to, you know, the, so essentially what I'm saying is they've programmed it to steer him in the, in the right direction, like you said, Mark, and, and they were much more sophisticated than they made out to be in the program. Now, that's an interesting question because I always thought of it that, like this, this society, at the point that the probe launches, they made a, some sort of breakthrough in technology. And at that point, they became... Cause like all of them, it was all a hologram, uh, a hologram simulation. But at, in their actual history, they made some sort of large breakthrough where they they advanced um, incredibly and were able to launch this probe that could do all of this stuff. So, it, does that make sense? It does, and actually, that's also where the storyline falls flat because if you're so advanced that you can create AI that can let somebody live 40 years, how did you not just go to another planet and escape and also not know that the supernova was coming for a long time? Uh, as, as I said in the beginning, I don't mind that because the suspension of disbelief was in place and I enjoyed the episode, but that's the hole in it. Is that if you're so sophisticated that you can do all this stuff, why didn't you just leave the planet? Well, I guess, I guess, does it make sense that, but what I'm saying is that they made this leap to build the probe, and at that time it was too late to leave the planet. They they hadn't yet developed warp drive. I, I mean, but you, I guess you're saying that well, if you can create this probe, why couldn't you develop warp drive? Is that what you're saying? Right, or, or any even if you're not warp drive, just build a spaceship and move to the other planet. And also, they if if they they so because if you, I'm just thinking of it in the context of us, we know where we are right now, and we've got artificial intelligence just in the beginning stages so if you if you're this sophistication level you're pretty close to building a spaceship I, you know what? i don't want to deconstruct this episode too much because it's such a great episode but that does make i mean i hear what you're saying but for some reason it just works for me i don't know why mm -hmm. i can't explain it works it. for me too i can't explain it but um but uh let me just throw out a little bit a uh, few more tidbits and i'm going to give my um my impressions of the episode overall so um, I just found these things interesting. Morgan Grindle, uh, uh, who, again, uh, created, came up with the story, he revealed that the episode's title is an end joke. Quote, the inner light was the B-side of Lady Madonna, which yep. I believe is a Beatles song. Oh, come on, you. Oh, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not as well-versed as the Beatles on the Beatles as I should be, I suppose. Uh, quote, I thought it would be fun to give every Star Trek episode I wrote a title that's from a different obscure Beatles song. So I got to look up to see what other episodes he wrote. Uh, one other piece that I found interesting, Picard's flute appears in a deleted scene in the movie Nemesis when Picard and Data discuss the crew uh, going off in their separate ways. So it's a shame that uh, they did not include that uh, scene. I don't remember seeing it on the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray. Or, um, or behind the scenes, so we missed that. And then I think I brought this up before that the the actor who plays Bataille, Bataille as in Cayman's son, Bataille is actually Patrick Stewart's son, his actual yes. son. And I'm trying. I was trying to figure out 
at one in one scene we see him with hair and then as time progresses we see him bald or balding and i'm wondering which one is the real the real Dan, uh the real daniel daniel stewart so uh i just i thought that was interesting and he 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 uh played it very well he he seems like he is a a master thespian himself but my overall impressions of the, of the episode was that it was it was brilliant and mark I, i'm not hating on you for your feelings towards it i i'm disappointed that you that you didn't like it as much as i did uh, or you had negative things to say about it but i can understand it because this is a star trek episode it's like i said it's a fan favorite episode it's a it's an award-winning episode uh patrick stewart nominated this episode as the greatest acting challenge he faced in the seven years of his uh stint as patrick uh as uh, jean-luc picard i mean it, it gets a lot of praise and it's one of the least star trekky episodes of the franchise but by the same token the values that are on display and the 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 um the tone and the the what what what's the word I'm looking for? The 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 reaching what's the word I'm looking for, guys? It, the 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 aura, there's a word, I can't think of it. But it is everything that makes Star Trek what Star Trek is. Um, Again, I disagree, but continue. <clears throat> okay. There are two moments in this 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 episode that almost bring me to tears. Well, one of them does. But there's one there's one scene that to me encapsulates what Picard is about, and it's when he's talking to his daughter Maribor, who's talking about who says she's met someone, they haven't known each other that long, but she's thinking of getting married, and she she sits down with Cayman slash Picard to try to break the news to him that she's going to get married to him. Expecting that Cayman is going to be, you hardly know this guy. What are you talking about? You're going to get married. But what Cayman says is, seize the time, Maribor. Live now. Make now always the most precious time. Now will never come again. And I don't know who wrote that. I'm going to assume it was Morgan and Peter Allen Fields. But that line to me is the essence of Captain Picard. We see it in Generations. Uh, when he loses his family and he questions is being on this starship what my destiny is. I just lost my family. That's the last of the Picards. He meets uh, Captain Kirk who schools him again on, listen, I was saving the Federation when you were in diapers and I'm going to go up to that room. I'm going to seize the moment now. And kind of giving us the implication that Picard never seized his true time. That's what I mean by he's a conflicted character, right? I think what he's telling to Maribor subconsciously is that I didn't seize that time to have my family, to have my wife, to have my children. I want you to seize it even though I'm Cayman now. This is what I really believe. So that line is the most important line of this entire episode because it speaks for, for Picard throughout the, the seven years and the movies where he is featured as the starship captain. The other scene that moves me every time, kind of piggybacking on this, is when he comes out in that ridiculous looking uh, straw hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I always think of Katherine Hepburn in On Golden Pond when I see him come out in that hat. And it's revealed that they are launching something. He's like, what are, what are you launching? And and Aline said, you've seen it. And I start, I'm like, okay, I'm not, I've seen this episode too many damn times. I, you're not going to, I'm not going to get moist this time. But his <laughs> wife, his wife says, you've seen it. And then all, everyone, Bataille, no, actually Bataille shows up first. And I'm like, okay, here we go. No, I'm going to keep it together. <laughs> then the daughter comes with the children. And then his wife, who he, oh man, okay. His wife, who, who broke him down and said, this really is what I want. I'm, I might look for the stars. I might search the stars. But this, I'm going to accept that this is kind of what I want. I have my family. And the Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart is just that mother man. He, uh, the really? Way, yeah, I, he's an acting beast. <laughs> the look on his face with all of that, as bad as the makeup was, you could see in his eyes that you could see you could see when he looks at his wife and she shows up and he says, Aline. The rest of us have been gone a thousand years. If you remember what we were and how we lived, then we'll have found life again. I mean, it's 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 just oh my god! It's it's that's a sublime moment. And when he realizes it's me, it's me, it's me. You almost—at least I'm speaking for myself—you almost feel sorry for him when he gets back on the cold. And I'm gonna, you know, I, I love the Enterprise, I love Star Trek, but when he wakes up on the cold, technologically sterile environment of the Enterprise, it, it's such a shock. Where I feel like I was Cayman. I mean, we always in you know we always identify with the quote unquote hero of the story. So we are meant to identify with Cayman. And so when he wakes up, it was jarring for me. And I'm like, no, I don't really want to be here anymore. I I really love what you were building on that planet. The fact that there are no phasers drawn. The fact that there's no battles, no fights, there's not a lot of technological stuff uh, bandied about on this episode. It's very much a straight, almost lifetime drama. I hate to say lifetime because I think lifetime puts out cheesy dramas, but you know what I mean. It's just a straight drama that could take place in any environment, any piece, any project, and it works so well. It just happens that Star Trek scooped this story up. And it is everything that Star Trek is, even without any of the uh, uh, of the technology of Star Trek. That's what makes this episode so brilliant to me. And it's very similar to, that's why The City on the Edge of Forever is such a brilliant episode. It's, it's very similar in, in tone. So, I this is one of my top five episodes. Now, at what point did you realize 
did you kind of figure out the the ending of this episode, or was it a, was it a surprise to all of you, to both of you? It was a surprise to me when they gathered around him as he was, you know, supposedly dying, and said, "Don't we?" You know, people came back. His buddy came back. His wife came back. He's like, they're like, "Don't let him forget us." That I didn't see coming. Correct. Yeah, I, I, I don't think. I mean, the ending surprised me, the way that they ended it off. But as the viewer, you always knew that they were going to wake him up from it somehow and that he would have to, to come back. So you, you, we as the viewer knew that would happen. He he maybe didn't at the end. Did you feel any way, in any way, shape, or form, the way I felt that I kind of felt pity for Captain Picard? Because, again, I mean, he's a, he's an awesome Starship captain, but we we know that he there's a part of him that feels like he missed out on life because mm. of his love for the federation and starfleet did you did any part of you feel pity for him definitely i felt pity for him you know even in the beginning when he first arrives there he can feel how useless it is because he cannot get away from that situation he knows that he's supposed to be on a starship but everybody around him is just making out as if he had a dream and he woke up from it he had a fever and he woke up from it. So they, they're downplaying his old life, but he's remembering his old life. So, And at the end there, when he's now, as you said, he's, he's got his, you know, his, his children and his grandchildren, and he's, he's built a life, and he's made other people's lives worthwhile, and now it's all going to go away. So I definitely felt pity for him then. And, of course, he's, as you said, he's a, he's a renowned Shakespearean actor like William Shatner, and they sell that. They really do. <laughs> they, they know how to do it, right, don't they? So having two Shakespearean actors on as captains was it was a great idea. So just a couple other uh, tidbits. Uh, Peter Lauritsen, who I believe is it was a showrunner, he named this episode as definitively one of the favorite Star Trek, one of his favorite Star Trek episodes. Michael Westmore, who I believe was a director, I should know, but I, I know he he played a large part, and maybe he's a producer. He noted that The Inner Light was a show that Patrick Stewart should have won an Emmy for. Entertainment Weekly ranked this episode number three on their list of the top ten episodes to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Star Trek The, Genera- the Next Generation. And Michael Piller, who was a uh, showrunner, named this episode, along with The Measure of a Man and The Offspring, as one of his favorite TNG episodes. Because and, and this is a quote, because they had remarkable emotional impacts and they genuinely explored the human condition, which this franchise does better than any other when it does it well. And maybe that's why this was so much Star Trek, because we all would agree that that's what Star Trek does so well and what its essence is exploring the human condition. And this episode really, really does that. Now, this is what I found interesting, and I'm glad they did not do this. They were planning a sequel to this episode, and it was going to be called. I give you, I give you one guess what it was going to be called. Let me guess, uh, Cayman. Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be called the Outer Light. <sighs> See, that's why uh, Hollywood. They, I, you know, with the movie E.T. and certain other movies, and this episode, they knew leave that the f- alone. Don't touch it. So what was the premise of the sequel, did they say? Uh, let me see. Um, they don't say... they. The story is... I'll read what it says. The sequel was planned, but it was scrapped. The story called The Outer Light was adapted as a comic on TrekMovie.com. That's all I have here. Oh. 
I would imagine it'll be an interesting episode for them. There's a lot of time travel episodes in Star Trek, and it would be interesting for them to do a time travel episode where they accidentally go back to before the planet uh, was destroyed by the sun, their star. That, that would be interesting uh, to go back. No? No. Too much? I, I, this this episode was perfect. I don't, anything they do now would be like creating uh, the Star Wars prequels. Don't do that. <laughs> Well, no, let's, because let's not get into that. <laughs> I don't think it would be that bad. It would be a case of Picard would be able to save his wife because obviously she was a real person on the planet, even though it's not really his wife. He would be able to save that family and the and the civilization and maybe move them to another planet to just to save them. They they wouldn't understand why that was happening. You see, that's that that would make it interesting, but he would know because he would remember. That's kind of like, you know, when you say save them and move them to another planet, I think of uh, Insurrection. Right. <laughs> and we, we all know. <laughs> we don't want any parts of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. <clears throat> so we went through some of the themes. Were there any performances that st- uh, st- stuck out for you guys, in either of you? We all know Patrick Stewart killed it, right? Well, no one else really had a chance to really do anything either. You know, like in that episode of Match, this was really all him. You know, the uh, the daughter got a little taste here. The the wife got a smidgen. You know, the bridge crew, other than Riker and and uh, Crusher, were pretty much non-existent. Well, well, I, I'm surprised you say that because yeah, no one on the start on the on the bridge got any got much screen time. But I I read this from so this Peter. Was, this was Picard's vehicle. That's clearly. Right, but I guess I was trying to set something up, and that was the actress who played his wife. I, I when I first saw this episode, I'm not even sure that I liked it as much as I do as I did on subsequent viewings. And I think when I first saw it, I just saw her as, um, uh, you know, straight out of central casting. Just we need we need some woman who can who can hold her own against Patrick Stewart. You know, who can basically act this script. But on subsequent viewings, I realized she is she is almost like fifty. Picard is the emotional core, but I think without her, it wouldn't have worked as well. I think her performance was amazing, and I think you know what's funny is I think her aging makeup was 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 amazing as well. And I find it interesting that now again, Picard. Uh, I keep calling him Picard. Stewart, we all know, is is that dude when it comes to the acting. But even the second-rate actors, like the administrator, who were in uh, old makeup, I, typically when you put when you when you kick him in makeup like that, it, it makes it hard to take it seriously, and it makes it difficult to see them to see their quote-unquote performance. But I think this woman, her name is Mar Margot. I'm going to say it's M A R G O T. I'm going to say Margot Rose. And uh, Peter Allen Fields weighed in on this as well. He, he he praised Patrick Stewart's performance, but he had the highest praise for Margot Rose. Quote, she was absolutely superb, no ifs, ands, or buts. I was grateful to have written something that an actress of that caliber had brought to life. She was excellent. I had never seen her before. I saw dailies. So I saw aspects of her performance that, unfortunately, the audience never got to see because the show ran long. They had to take out seven minutes. I had to agree with him, because um, there's one scene early on where 
she's trying to talk to him and he's still looking for his starship and she just turns her back. I think she mentioned something about wanting to have children and he just kind of brushes her off and she just kind of gets up and walks away. Uh, and it, But then in the next act where time has passed, I like the fact that we see we don't see all the time progress. But when we come back, it's clear that she has changed Picard and she has changed herself. And she realizes that, okay, my husband thinks he's someone else, but I still, and he's going to continue to look for that starship. But I love him so much that I'm going to let him have that. And then he reciprocates by saying, let's set up a nursery. So I, I don't know, just to find an actress who can go up against Stuart and sell it with all this makeup on, I just think she, she should have gotten some sort of recognition as well. Craig, what do you think? I think I do agree with you that she was a good actress. She did sell the character very well. And if you look at the history of her acting career after that, it's she's been in a lot of things, including Deep Space Nine. Oh, so wow. So you probably see her showing up there. Her character's name is Rin uh, on an episode of Deep Space Nine. So she obviously is a very good actor. She was recognized as such and, and, has, and has done a lot of different parts. So she's, she, she did round out that that play very well between Picard and her. Yeah. Now, um, one other thing I want to touch on, and to me is just what I'm about to bring up. It, I think is, is such a character in this show that without it, I don't think, I don't know if the show would have worked as well, but the music, the song that, uh, Picard learns on the flute I don't know if they ever give it a name, but you know you know the song I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That he learns to play. Uh, that was composed by Jay Shadowway, which was and that that theme was that that song was later expanded into a six minute orchestral suite for an album that came out, The Best of Star Trek Volume One, which you can find on Title. And I went to listen to it. I found it on Title, and it's got a lot of strings and orchestration. And it's absolutely beautiful, but you know what? You can have that. You can have all that. <laughs> what they play, what 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 uh, we hear in this episode is so moving to me. And it, 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 it in those notes, it, I hear the forty years of Cayman's life. And at the end, when Picard, uh, when Riker comes into his quarters. Hands him that box and says, uh, "The Picard, the um, the probe, self-destructed." Uh, I think that's what happens. And then we found this. This is the only thing we found in the probe. Um, and it's the box, and you know what's in that box. He opens the box, takes out the flute. Riker leaves. He looks at it, and then he just holds it to his chest. Man, you didn't feel anything with that, big sexy. No. Oh my. Yeah, that was a moving moment. Definitely a moving moment. In fact, I I almost thought he was going to snap it. When, you thought he was going to snap it? Happened. It looked like he was going to break it, and then I realized that he wasn't doing that. But it, when he gripped it so hard, it looks like he was going to snap it in half, as as anger. But he he didn't. So, but it was a moving scene. It just he, it just, you could see his torture, right? The torture in his in his mind about this amazing forty years he had just lived, and now he's back on the. Starship, and this is one memory of that of that um, event. So this probe, go, go, yes, hijacked him. A hostile act 
and yeah. he's supposed to be all longing and missing that. No. <laughs> Big sexy, you're missing. I think you're missing. I'm not discounting what you what you, your opinion. But I, I are you do you still feel that way even if you weigh in the fact that as as I said, and I mean not that I'm right, but I believe I am that Picard is a conflicted character that there's a part there's a part of him that really wanted that life where he could have a family and just raise crops. Maybe he should have been an archaeologist, archaeologist, archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what he should have been to make the episode more realistic. But putting that aside, if you consider that, you don't think that he might want to cherish that. If you consider that, that makes what they what the probe did to him even more cruel, because. You give him what you secretly want, and then you take it away. Not cool. But you are a starship captain. You ran some. Uh, you you ran some. Uh, what did, what did the admiral say in Best of Both Worlds? You ran this race, and you stood out to the admiral because you you were plucky and this and that. You were on the USS Stargazer, and you made a name for yourself by um by standing up to your your captain. You get assigned to the Starship Enterprise, the flagship of the Federation. So you are experienced. You are mentally uh, able to to comprehend things that happen in deep space. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I think you're making a little bit more black and white than this character, than even this character would, would allow for. Because he he's experienced so many things. That psychologically, you know, he, he would be able to, he's going to, he's going to grieve, but he's not going to be angry so much so that he, he wouldn't cherish a, a experiencing a life that he kind of wanted. If this life had come about through a non-felonious manner, I would agree with you 100%. But again, this probe kidnapped him, essentially. So I'm not going to thank my kidnappers for doing anything. Let me let me ask you this question: Who who's the most beautiful woman in the world to you? Oh, shit, that changes every day. <laughs> <laughs> just give me just give me one. Uh, now I'm on the spot. Uh, this dude, fuck. you got to think of somebody. <laughs> oh, like there's hundreds of thousands, man. Who's women a beautiful woman to you? An actress or celebrity? Okay, fine. Fuck it. The, the the channel three anchor here, Kelly DeMarco. Jeez. Yes. Okay, Kelly DeMarco. Okay. <laughs> She's bad. Yeah, yeah. Laugh now. She's bad. <laughs> so you stumble across a probe uh-huh. <laughs> that has you spending a few years with Kelly DeMarco. Uh huh. Now you've you've been taken away from your life that you know, but you're with Kelly DeMarco for let's say ten years. And you come back, you didn't lose 10 years of your life, so you get to come back having that wonderful experience, and you come back to where you left off, so you haven't aged at all. You're telling me you would be more pissed at the probe, or would you be more like, wow, that was interesting. Thank you. If <laughs> no, thank you ain't going to happen. If a probe hijacks me Here we go. and gives me 10 years of Kelly DeMarco, which in fact was, and for all intents and purposes, a dream... I would be pissed. Craig, do you believe that? <laughs> I, I'm just seeing it differently because, as you pointed out, he didn't. He didn't not lose his uh, years of his life. 
he he was kidnapped. There's no there's no question about that. He was taken against his will. In fact, you could probably imagine that the probe just randomly chose somebody on the ship. Just happened to be him. Because I'm sure they weren't looking for Jean-Luc Picard, obviously. That was my next question. Why did it why did it grab the captain? Why didn't it grab Data or Jordy who were technically closer to it? Well, I know, but I mean the the probe did a scan of the ship, and I'm assuming that they said, Well, he is the leader of these people. He's the one he has the most influence over these people. Let's get him. Why would I'm not gonna get the janitor. Why would I? No one no one's gonna believe the janitor. They might believe the captain of the starship. <laughs> well, if that probe managed to figure all that out in a short space of time that he was the captain, maybe. I, I, I like to think that it was random. It just chose a being that was on the ship. I'll tell you yeah, what. Okay, maybe pissed is the wrong word. But I would not be all longing and, you know, oh, oh, what could have been? No. No. Listen. If anybody out there, listen closely. If you're developing a Halle Berry pr- uh, probe, oh, here we go. or a Margot <laughs> or a Margot Robbie probe, or Kate I, Upton probe, I'm yeah, I'm your guy. You hear me? I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your guy. So yeah, the inner light. Uh, okay, so correct. Let's just let's just get down to the to the to the bones of the issue. Do you get uh, out of five? Out of five, how many how many stars do you give this episode? Four point five. Wow. Okay. 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 And the half a star is simply because there were holes in there's holes in the story that they maybe should have thought about a little bit more about how the probe actually got there and how they didn't save their whole civilization first, but they sent out a probe first. So anyway, that that's the only little half a star that comes off of that. So the the episode would have gotten a, a, another half star if perhaps this planet was advanced and but they knew they could but if they were advanced they, then you're saying that they would have been able to get off the planet right right exactly so then the story might not then you wouldn't really have a story so, so you had to figure out a way for the planet to not to be so advanced as to create this probe but not be able to create star uh, starships right or for example they send out a probe that just has a memory card in it <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. They capture the probe and oh look, these are all these guys. It wouldn't have had the same same impact, of course, right? But I'm just seeing it on video. But okay. anyway, I think the big thing for me is about the fact that where do you draw the line where you can make a spaceship and you have the intelligence of creating AI that can put somebody in a forty year experience, but you can't save your race. You see what I mean? And you also <laughs> it took you so long to figure out there was gonna be a supernova. That it was by the time he launched the probe was too late. Surely you would have been able to see that that supernova was coming a long time ago if you could build AI. <laughs> so okay, but, anyway, but you gave it four and a half stars. Jesus. Yes, it was a great episode. <laughs> As I said, half a star for that little hole in the story, but the story was captivating enough to me that I enjoyed it. All right, so I, I, I'm loath to ask this of Big Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> A big sex is a by the book guy, man. But well, I, I guess you have to be like that to be an attorney, right? Is that what it is? That's how it is, man. Okay. Gotta go with it. All right. How uh, out of five, how many stars do you give this episode? Considering that Star Trek is first about exploration, I gotta give it two and a half. Two and a half. Okay, right hold, in the middle. Hold on. Give hold it on. A seat. Now the first. Okay, so 
the first three, the first two seasons of DS9, they were on a space station. Even yeah. now, even though now I, I've admitted that the that the series has gotten much better. So, but you liked that from stem to stern. You liked that from the very first season. The first two seasons, they were on the station, but they still would take the runabout and go into the wormhole and do other things. So that's what. <laughs> I, I didn't say. I didn't say anything. This is your time. Go ahead. Oh, and. Again, I, I, I like that. And with this, now there are things that happen in, in DS9 that I you know, feel the same way about this episode because it goes off the path of exploration. I'm like, do we need to do this? But again, I see, I, I recognize and respect that a large number of people really think highly of it. I'm just not one of them with this episode. I'm just not one of them. All right, uh, Craig, um, Make a note in the log uh, that Big Sexy will be scrubbing warp nacelles for the next month. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Duly noted. And I might just forget and, and call for you to take us to warp 10. Uh, no, no, no. You can only go 9.5. Come on. You're forgetting well, your train. Depending on that one section of space where you can only go warp 5 because of environmental issues. But, right. um, all right. I'm giving this... Well, you know what? I'm going to give it 4 out of 5 stars. And ironically... I'm giving it, I, I took away a star for the same reason you took away a half star, so you were much more generous. But uh, you all have raised some good points. There is a, a, a lack of plausibility in that uh, this this probe could be launched, but they can't uh, launch starships that can get them off the planet. Although, I can come up with maybe, I don't know if they would fuel their starships with dilithium crystals necessarily, but... Maybe the drought or whatever it was uh, 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 withered away any of the resources that they could use to power the spaceships. You know, uh, it prevented them from developing that technology because they didn't have the resources. But they had the resource. They had holographic resources, <laughs> so that's how they could build the probe. Does that make sense? Does that uh, give you? Does that give you that um, half star back, Craig? Again, the probe was powered by solid propulsion, which means gasoline. Right. Ah, uh, okay. You remember that, huh? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I remember that too. It, it essentially what we use when we launch rockets today, which is not what they use in the Star Trek universe. They I guess you're right because you do see a plume of smoke. Out. <laughs> you do see a, a like a smoke plume uh, after it. So yeah, I guess you're mm. right. But listen. Now, you know what? I think we have I think we have analyzed this episode backwards and forwards. If anyone has anything else they want to add uh on the on the message boards or uh please let us know. I want to hear what you think. But since you guys are going to hit me with the fact that y'all remember that it was propul- it was propelled by solid propulsion. You remember all that. <laughs> all right. We're going to see how bad you are. Uh-oh. We're going to do some uh inner light trivia. All right, and I'm going to I want to get on my um I'm going to get on my Jeff Sessions. I want to recuse myself. Oh dear, <laughs> of, of, the, of this content. Well, I came up with the questions. I, I'll you want me to play? I'm going to win. But uh, I got I got four questions here. All right. So whoever uh, just shout it out. Whoever gets the answer right, just shout it. If you think you got the answer, just shout it out. Whoever gets the most questions right wins 
wins the captain's wins a prize from the captain being me okay <laughs> every just, episode you forget I'll, that we're the red shirts right yeah I'll, we are the, the lower ings of the ship <laughs> I'll the ones insert, that get killed. listen i'll insert the crickets later okay <laughs> okay <good. laughs> all right since you guys remember solid propulsion i fully expect you're going to get these questions right we're going to start from easiest to most difficult first question how long was Picard unconscious? I will accept. Hold on. Twenty-five minutes. Uh, do you big sexy? I will say thirty minutes. Wow. We would have accepted any number between twenty and twenty-five, because Riker says to him, "You were out for twenty to twenty-five minutes." So, Craig, point uh, to you. What do you mean we would have accepted? What are you, the yeah, Royal we? now? <laughs> Who the hell's we? That's exactly. me, the, the captain, and I got uh, Admiral Nagoya. What's her name? The <laughs> Chayev. You're talking the, the third person again there. Yeah, you, no, you, no. You, the the Chayev's in the background. I've got her uh, on, a, on, a, on a Starfleet channel back here. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, next question. What is Cayman's profession? I want to say he's a teacher. I think he's a farmer. I think you're right. We are looking for something a little bit more specific. Here we go. Looking for something a little bit more specific. Anyone else want to take a take a shot at it? No, no, we don't. (laughs) Okay, that's right. He is an iron weaver. Iron weaver. We were looking for iron. That's right. That's right. Interesting. Okay. All right. So Craig is still on the in the lead. Okay. Next question. What does Cayman recommend to the administrator as a means of surviving the drought? Uh, it's an atmospheric something or other. You're where so it extracts yeah, I can't remember already. You're so close. Keep, keep going, keep going. You almost got it. I don't remember the the term he used, an atmospheric something. Some mechanism you put out there that, that sucks. Uh, condens- oh, uh, atmospheric condenser, something like that. You got it. See, you, now, yes, you. See, this was also a lower decks test. <laughs> <laughs> you, just became, you just got promoted. Big Sexy, go back into the holodeck suite. So that uh, Worf can uh, teach you a little bit more. <laughs> I would whip Worf's big wow. ass. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Let him grab a bat left and let's get it on. Let's find out. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. Well, okay. So this is going to be winner take all. So now this last question is worth three three points. So if you get a big sexy... You, you win. Okay. I know that's totally unfair, but that's the way it is. All right, here we go. And it's, it's not an easy question. What is the name of Maribor's fiance? Mm. 
Anyone have a guess? I got no idea. I have no idea. Home skillet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're oh. red shirts, all right. We deserve to be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a go. I'm telling you guys to go go build a couple of uh, grave sites up on that hill. I'll explain later. <laughs> His name is Danik. Danik is the name. Okay. So I guess Craig, you for next mission, you will be on my number one. Uh, Very good. Uh, Big sexy. Where can we put you, man? Teacher's pet. <laughs> where, where can we put you? Where would you? Where, where can I put you? What can I, what can I do with you? Well, I'll take a take a shift at ten forward. Are uh, you what? Are you going to be a, a liquor, uh, the bartender? I'll roll with Diamond for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, she she was she wasn't bad looking back back then. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, I'm with <laughs> you on that. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is that will conclude our review of the Inner Light. I you know. As you can see, two of us really loved the episode. One of us, not that impressed, but I don't think he hated it. Big Sex, no, I didn't hate it. it. No, I didn't hate it. Just and I, I honestly, I understand why you feel that way. I, I just, I wish that the, the, the just the melodrama would have been enough for you to say you like it. You know, because it is. I, I don't care if this was Star Trek or if it was any other uh, hour-long drama, dramatic uh, series. It works no matter what the milieu of the story would have been. I'm sorry, the what? This is you're you're an attorney. You don't know you don't know the word oh, milieu. No, I know milieu. I know, but I'm just I'm just caught off guard at uh, your use of the word. Very nice. He has the thesaurus.com open. Aha! <laughs> I won I won the spelling bee two years in a row in my grade school. I'll have you know. Already, we got to get video of that. And what grade were you in? Uh, let's see. I was probably in, I don't know. If, uh, actually, I was in uh, like seventh, maybe seventh, seventh and eighth grade, I think. Oh, they gave you some real words then. Okay. I, one of them I won the word, I remember to this day, the word was heinous. Mm. Dude, that is so heinous. <laughs> and I, I remember, why are we getting off track, off topic like this? But I remember when they asked the word of my, it was just, it came down to two people, me and another guy who I will never remember who it was. And they asked it. I had no idea what it was. The, I had no idea how to spell it. And he said H-A-I-N, something like that. Wrong. wrong. And, it, and when he got it wrong, I knew it was H-E-I-N-O-U-S. Uh, and then I went, to the, then I went to the semi-semifinals and lost within on my second word and Cried like a baby and went home. <laughs> Damn cute. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that concludes our review of this episode. Please let us know what you thought about the inner light. I really expect to hear from you guys because this is a fan favorite. I'm sure you all have opinions. Doesn't matter if you agree with either, any any of us here, disagree with any of us. I really want to let's get a good discussion going on on the chats. Um, you can email us at Redshirts Podcast at gmail.com you can leave us comments on tumblr search under red shirts definitely leave us a a, a comment on our uh, facebook page that would be red shirts a star trek podcast go to itunes that's right go to itunes people listen closely i really need you to go to itunes we only have two reviews on itunes and i know a lot more of you are listening to us and believe me we appreciate that so much we appreciate that right guys Absolutely. Yes, we do. Right. So I'm just asking you, I'm begging you, 
go to iTunes, subscribe, but most importantly, for us to get heard more often and to move to the top of the queue in terms of relevant podcasts, we need more ratings and more reviews. We have two up there right now, and I appreciate those people who left those up there. And we want more. I want to get at least 10 by the end of the month, okay? And it's June. <laughs> by the end of the oh, month, yeah. I want at least 10 up there. Help us out, guys. Help us out. I'm not even asking for any money. Not asking for any money. Other podcasts, they might ask you for money. I'm not going to mention any names. But... Uh, <laughs> Wow. We do this because we love Star Trek just as much. We I, And I'm sure we don't love it any more than you guys listening, but we love Star Trek, and we know you love Star Trek. Let us know if we're doing a good job. Let us know if we're doing a bad job. And if you feel like we're doing a bad job, please let us know what we can do to improve. And with that, any last words, guys? Nope. Nope. <laughs> okay. And with that tepid response, uh, Big Sexy, can you get to the warp nacelles, please? I got a toothbrush for you. Uh, oh, Craig, uh, <laughs> warp 10, make it so. Warp 9.5, correction. Oh, you're a Cheers, tree everybody. Hugger. You're a tree hugger. See you next time. <laughs>